Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance, and of course, we are at home sheltering each in our various places at, during this coronavirus. So we're delighted to welcome our guest, Rebecca Sive, age 70, a longtime resident of Chicago. Rebecca has been a powerful advocate for women since the mid-1970s. And we will direct you to Rebecca's website so you can learn more about her vast experience as a public official, civic leader, political analyst, author, and historian. Rebecca now speaks, writes, and teaches about strategies for women to gain public influence and political power. Her compelling theme is Vote Her In, the title of her 2018 book about electing our first woman president and the focus of a podcast that she co-hosts. Rebecca's proclamation for women is, in 2020, we hold the future in our hands. Rebecca, we're so eager to talk with you about why electing women to public office really matters to the future of every woman and girl and how we can get this done. And we do want to focus our conversation on women as leaders and political life, public life, but let's begin by hearing about some early influences that got you started on this path. Well, first of all, so much for having me on on the show. I think what you're doing is vital uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned at the outset. Uh, millions of women remain vital until uh, we get much older and we also get much wiser and have so much more to contribute. So I'm glad to be here to talk about my part uh, in this process. Um, I, I guess by way of background to how I became motivated to uh, engage civically and politically, I have to give credit to my parents. Uh, both of them were active uh, civic and political people when I was growing up in the 1950s in New York. Um, my father ran for Congress as a young Democrat in a very heavily Republican district. Uh, he lost, but he made the case for the kinds of policies uh, the Democratic Party was espousing at that time, uh, very similar to those we're hearing about today. In my mother's case, uh, when I was a teenager, perhaps maybe when I was in college, also she uh, became the president of the local school board, was active in as a Girl Scout troop leader, uh, common things that many women did uh, at that time. So uh, in the way of leadership, um, so I guess it was a formative um, time growing up. And when I went to college, as, as your listeners can guess from my age, I was in college 
at the time when um, the student movement and the anti-war movement and the women's movement were all uh, strong, almost at their height, I believe. And I, like many others, uh, became an activist. Uh, for me, the um, the sort of Declaration of Independence, if you will, was the book Sisterhood is Powerful, uh, along with some other works I read at the time. Um, and afterwards, I guess I would say when I moved to Chicago uh, after college and attended graduate school, I chose to study uh, the work of Jane Addams and the other uh, progressive women of that era who have remained for me role models for what all of us can do. So. It's been a while since then, but I would say those were formative experiences. Thank you. That's great. I know that from talking with you and looking at your website that you were quite a leader in, in Chicago in terms of co-founder of the Midwest Women's Center and um, building coalitions, Illinois Women's Coalition. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a bit about some of those those um that, those leadership activities well one of the you know after i finished graduate school i was fortunate enough to be able to go work for the american jewish committee and uh, at the time it was notion of what they called intergroup relations which essentially was uh the idea of building coalitions of friendship and policy advocacy among different ethnic and racial groups and uh, I came there as a young staffer with the responsibility of uh, organizing women around the city of Chicago uh, in that kind of a venture. And it's sort of a longer story, but um, along the way, I met many dozens of amazing Chicago women whose stories have yet to be told. Uh, I also met one of your former guests and a, a dear longtime friend of mine, Heather Booth, and uh, as I got to know Heather and some of the other women who had uh, been involved in Chicago Women's Liberation Union, we then focused on uh, other activity, including the Illinois Women's Agenda, which advocated for ERA and other uh, mid-70s um, efforts to uh, provide equal opportunity for women. And we then decided that we would form the organization Midwest Women's Center to be a sort of full service uh, place for um, services for women and advocacy for women. And it was from that um, place that I was able to become engaged politically. Uh, I want to give credit where credit is due to Governor Jim Thompson, who uh, Republican, pro-choice, uh, pro-ERA governor, and he, uh, among other things, gave me the opportunity to be on the founding commission of the Illinois Human Rights Commission, uh, which adjudicates matters of discrimination. And I, in that context, uh, met Harold Washington, the first black mayor of Chicago, who at the time was a state senator who sponsored the Illinois Human Rights Act. And he became a mentor of mine. And as a result of that, when he ran for mayor the first time in 1982, uh, I co-chaired Women for Washington, did a lot of fundraising, subsequently was appointed to a couple of positions there. So I think my, I would say that my goal in all of this is 
has just been to engage with the broadest range of women possible. Uh, and I would say one important thing about that is we come together across the generations. I I've seen some uh, disparaging remarks and writings about the feminists of our generation or the white feminists uh, failing to include women of color in the work. And my own experience is different from that. I wanted to share that uh, with your listeners because I think it's important and I wasn't the only one who had this experience. Uh, as I mentioned, we began working on the ERA in the, I don't know, mid-70s, whenever that was. And among uh, the coalition partners, National Council of Negro Women, Operation PUSH, uh, and others. And it was in that context that I began working very closely with um, three amazing African-American women leaders um, who deserve national recognition, all deceased now, but I encourage your listeners to read up on them, Addie Wyatt, Nancy Jefferson, and Willie Barrow. So mm -hmm. I think, as I said, my goal is to continue to do as I've done, which is to work on a range of issues uh, with people from many different communities. You know, Rebecca, I'm really glad you, you brought this up because you know, you and I, I think we're uh, the same age and we were in college during those really powerful movements. And I also have heard often about, or read about criticisms about the women's movement in particular as being quite segregated. And then here we are in Chicago, which has the unfortunate reputation as still being one of the most segregated cities in the, in the country. And here you and your colleagues were able to build these very strong coalitions. And can you just say a little bit more about strategies? Because I think Chicago might be one of the most successful uh, uh, examples oh, of that. Yeah. Well, as far as strategy, um, and I talk about this when, when I uh, teach and in my writings, I certainly write a lot about this. Uh, I think in the first instance, um, uh, I, I uh, had the good fortune to meet Saul Alinsky uh, when I was in college. My college uh, advisor was Paul Stone, who subsequently became a U.S. Senator. And Paul um, brought his students together with Alinsky on campus. I believe that was in the fall of 1971. And what Alinsky uh, recommends in his books, I recommend them to everyone, uh, uh, beginning with Rules for Radicals, um, is when you're organizing on a matter of public concern, identify the aspects of that matter that the most people can become engaged in and care about. And there's a sort of silly example that I've used many times in my teaching, which is, uh, there are bad hot dogs in the supermarket, right? And no one wants a bad hot dog and no one should have to eat one. So, you know, organize around that and you will get everybody, young or old, uh, every background, of, you know, and so on. So in the work uh, that I've done, I think other women have done too, the, my goal has always been to find uh, a common denominator issue that transcends uh, barriers of race or class um, 
and to work as hard as we can on that issue to win it in the process to build uh, friendships and policy alliances and political uh, goals that we share. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been successful. I, I think that um, you're right that there are um, other instances in Chicago of uh, people who have taken this approach to their work. Um, and we saw that, for instance, in the recent elections when we have uh, black women in some of the most important positions in the city of Chicago and Cook County, that could not have happened without alliances across mm -hmm. uh, disparate interests and backgrounds. Yeah, thank you. That's a very important message. Tell us what you mean by um, every day is election day. <laughs> so uh, for, for the listeners here, uh, my, both of my books, Every Day is Election Day and both are in, um, were written, I guess, in the interest of full disclosure when I was in my 60s, when I had the time and fortunately the space um, and support to reflect on what I've learned and what I could share. Uh, and the first book, Every Day is Election Day, is a guide to how to run successfully for office. Uh, it includes interviews with, I think, upwards of 30 different women I've worked with across the country on what they did and how they did it and what you can do. Uh, the notion of every day is election day, the reason I chose that title is if you are someone committed to um, social change, social justice, equal rights, you know, every day matters, uh, which isn't to say you can't take a vacation, but you, but you have to be cognizant and realize that each day you wake up, you have a unique to do whatever it is you think is most worth doing. And that's particularly true, of course, for women and minorities who face um, barriers that white men don't face to their uh, civic engagement and political success. It does seem that... Uh women still, as much as they want to run for local offices and, and uh, Illinois Congress, are not, are not able to uh, make it as easily as one would want them to. Um, from, from the beginning of ERA, when, and, and I noticed that we have many friends, not friends, but uh, people from LinkedIn in common who and Facebook in common who were National Council of Jewish Women and uh, Women's Business Development Center uh, advocates at that time who, who worked on all this. But so many people have tried to, so many women have tried to run for public office and they just don't seem to be able to garner what they need. So if you could say a bit more about that, uh, what your, your sense is of that mm -hmm. and what they can do, I, it would be great. Well, it's certainly true in the political science literature and the popular literature now as well. Um, uh, you can read about the systemic barriers that women have historically faced to running for office. Um, I discuss those in some detail in the book. I would uh, point out notably the fact that uh, for women who work outside the home, which is... Uh, I think a majority of women at this point, um, 
they also have a an unequal, a greater share of home care and child care responsibilities if they live with a partner, a male partner. It's just the sheer crunch of time. The other thing is as a result of that women have started waiting longer to run, therefore, uh, you know, the, the tunnel narrows or whatever the uh, right metaphor is um, or analogy. Uh, historically, women have not been in the rooms where such decisions have been made. So the guys sit around and they say, well, gee whiz, um, you know, I want to be a state senator. And the other guys say, sure thing, let's get behind you. And women have not been in those uh, rooms. Um, and the other thing about that, of course, is then if you're running from the outside, not the inside, challenges like media and fundraising mm -hmm. are greater. I think that um, this has begun to change. Uh, there's been a steady increase in the number of women in legislative positions, certainly in the last go-round um, sure. with the U.S. Congress. Uh, we achieved notable victories, both in the number of people and the age. And of course, Lauren Underwood from our home state is a great example of one of these immensely gifted younger women who succeeded. So it's beginning to change. I would say, however, and this is really important, and I talk about this and vote her in as well, or write about it, uh, the, we have not had equivalent success in the area of uh, running for executive office. And so president, county board president, mayor, um, those kinds of positions, attorney general, secretary of state, uh, the notion uh, on the part of too many male voters is that, well, no, I don't want a woman telling me what to do, sort of oversimplification of the problem, which is a profound one. So um, less than 20% of uh, the nation's governors are women, likewise with AGs. Uh, Illinois, for instance, has never had a woman governor, only one woman AG. So at the moment, there's both the ongoing challenge for women to realize what they want to do at as young an age as possible and then kind of get going. And at the same time, for those who think they want to run for executive office, to really uh, go for that and uh, solicit the support of the rest of us. Because, uh, you know, until I, for instance, and this is what A.G. Lisa Madigan told me when I interviewed her for Vote Her In. Until, for instance, a woman is president, we can't say a woman can be or do anything. It's not true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So, Rebecca, can you talk a little bit about what you're currently involved in that's, that's helping um, mm -hmm. women and, and girls also uh, prepare for the for future? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, draw people's attention to in particular because it's timely and topical is the Vote Her In podcast. Um, I, I guess I realized uh, relatively shortly after the book was published that, uh, you know, what's an, a way in another medium, so to speak, to have this conversation be ongoing and engage other people and hear what they have to say. And so in uh, about a year ago, um, I started the Vote Her In podcast with my uh, co-host, co-producer, Kelly Pollock, who had founded the podcast 
Two Broads Talking Politics, which has got a terrific uh, response nationally. So we um, have done the podcast now for about a year. We've had amazing guests on the show, many uh, important and uh, so valuable Illinois women. Uh, the most recent one a few days ago was with Tony Preckwinkle before that, immediately before that with Kim Fox. Um, so I, Joe Weinbaum, Jan Schakowsky, just a whole bunch of, uh, of women, both from Illinois and elsewhere. So I would just uh, want to and do invite everyone to uh, join in the po- on the podcast and uh, then uh, Figure out your own ways of being engaged, staying engaged, even while we're social distancing. There's, uh, fortunately, you know, every woman has her own printing press, right? And her own microphone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So, true. so uh, for our listeners, we will make sure that the information about the podcast and about Rebecca's website will be uh, included with um, the, uh, the cover art for her, for her episode. So you'll know where to find her. Uh, other, I know that you you were teaching. I think perhaps you're not teaching a course right now. Um, but what were some of the areas that you you have taught? Um, I taught uh, at the University of Chicago, the Harris School of Public Policy, uh, and I taught courses on women in politics. And um, many years before that, had taught at other universities here in Chicago. Uh, my focus in a graduate school of public policy, you know, is to uh, examine public policy matters related to women, to uh, talk about the uh, history of women's engagement in public policy, uh, to provide a chance for my students to actually do some hands-on work. Um, the current uh, dean of the school Kate Baker uh, is intensely interested in this topic. I'm glad to say, endorsed my book, Voter In. We did a, a talk together at the university about it. And so I think that, you know, teaching is another way to just sort of uh, help women um, think about what it is they can do, what they want to do. Um, and insofar as you're teaching on women in politics, uh, alas, we're still in a minority. <laughs> Right, right. So I'm wondering, as you talk with younger women, what what are some of the what do you hear from them? What are their what are they excited about? What are what do they see as challenges? Yeah, good question. Well, as you might imagine, from the students, uh, I hear great motivation to succeed. Uh, they wouldn't be in graduate school, I think, if if they weren't intent on careers in public policy. Um, I would say that for those who have a relationship, uh, one of the big sort of personal questions I get is how do you manage to have a personal relationship and a, you know, full, ambitious, busy, professional career? So that's something still of concern. Um, and that do I you do have a hear. response to that, Rebecca? Well, I've been married uh, since uh, since when? Since 1972. So um, I have a long uh, and successful marriage, I'm glad to say. And so, yes, I can talk about 
this and I do try to be as frank as possible with my students. Uh, I would say that, you know, what I hear from my mentees and other young women that I meet or talk with is, um, yes, this ongoing concern, not about life work balance, which I think is a phony idea, but about how to manage the various aspects of your life. Um, but I also uh, hear from them some of the same uh, uh, recounting of sexist experiences uh, that we experienced. And so uh, that that's distressing. Uh, I guess the good news is that the law and the advocacy uh, is more on their side than it was when we were at their age. Um, so that's really, really important. Our upcoming, in that context, I should mention that the upcoming uh, Vote Her In podcast interview is with Fatima Goss-Graves, who's the head of the National Women's Law Center, which as you probably know, has been a leader in this whole effort uh, for almost 50 years. And they administer the Time's Up uh, litigation fund uh, for people who've been victims of, of um, harassment, so many of whom are young women. So I think that that, I do hear that. The, the other thing I hear, which is a positive, and I go back again to the example of Lauren Underwood, um, is that young women are much more sort of openly ambitious about going to the highest step on the ladder they can possibly reach uh, than say some of us were. You know, we sort of thought, oh, well, we have to just, you know, step by step by step by step. And uh, they're saying, I, my first step is Congress. I know how to do this and I want to do it. And I, to me that, you know, uh, there is some level of experience and professional expertise you need to have to do a good job, but it's certainly the case that those who won seem to have that. Thank you. You know, I when you and I talked a while ago, you had some key points for younger women, and and one of them was um, to uh, respect and appreciate and 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 draw on the wisdom mm -hmm. of women such as yourself and uh, the other women who, that you've mentioned. So, say a little more about that, please. I guess the the overall point is that. These systemic barriers we uh, encountered are the same as those women today encounter. Um, but as I said, at the same time, uh, institutional policies are better than they were. And so I think that uh, what I do want young women to understand and appreciate, among other things, is how hard uh, older generations of women work to make that possible, mm -hmm. and uh, and to to uh, I guess um, dispense with the notion that gee whiz you know we're experiencing something terrible and what's going to be done about it uh, you know no you are in common cause uh, with women like ourselves who may be forty five or fifty years older and so the important thing is to recognize um, what had happened to work for something better and to work across those um, lines of age and so that you can benefit from the wisdom and the experience. 
Thank you. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. Your, your long-term time advocacy for women's, women's rights, uh, his civil rights, human rights in general have, are very uh, so important. And as you have said before, it's especially important in 2020. We hold the future in our hands. So we thank you so much for sharing with us your experiences and perspectives. Well, thank you so much. It's been a treat. And uh, to everyone listening, please take good care and keep social distancing, but keep organizing. <laughs> That's a keep great organizing. message. <laughs> I just want to say thank you to Rebecca. It was very, it was wonderful to hear you speak this way. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, add to the conversation. Tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about and become an active participant in our community. Our goal is to create a conversation across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcast at womenover70.com. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, we hope you will recommend her to us on our website. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.